listening to Big Sore Natural. I don't want smoke, I just want smoke. 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 When I'm smoking greens, cause I'm on your team. When I smoke the sea, cause I'm such a team. High as a kite, smoking Walter White. When I smoke the blue and I smoke the purple. Smoking on the blunt, cause I wanna run. Smoking on the green, cause it makes me lean. Smoking on the ground, I smoke and scream. When I hit the blunt, it's a click of cut. When I hit the blunt, I get fuck. When I hit the blunt, I don't give a fuck. I don't want smoke, I just want smoke. Hello, pay pigs and prayer warriors. Welcome back to the show. Cerise, how are we doing today? What's um, new? I'm doing really good, but my question for you is like, how come I never get to do the intro? Because <laughs> you always ask me to do the intro. Why do you feel like you need to speak over me as, <laughs> you know, just like a, a person of color, a, a person of um, immigrant experience? Like, I just feel like there's see- like... Z- xenophobia vibes there's like anti-black vibes um i think it's a little bit non-binary phobic um see this is why we get a lot of white steven universe fans coming into your dms personally and telling you that you're bullying me and that i'm this hapless little worm i'm just asking questions (laughs) like why do you feel the need Mm -hmm. to speak ahead of me um, and you can't answer that with because I ask you to. Have you maybe considered that like I'm teaching myself to make myself smaller to take up less space? <laughs> that that some people say to me, Cerise, you can take up space, but not too much. Uh, you know, I, I shrink I myself speak- on this podcast for you. <laughs> I speak over you. Um, because you are the public intellectual and I, I, as the, as the layman believe I need to speak to the, I, I need to speak to the, to the common folk. Well, um, you're a micro folks. influencer in, in exile. <laughs> so I think neither of us mm-hmm. are really the, the common man, but <laughs> I just want you to know that when you like stare at me with those like piercing mm-hmm. blue eyes of yours, that it makes me scared and it kind of triggers like my fight or flight or freeze response i do try to i do try to avert my gaze but it is hard because i mean it's not too hard for me because as you know i i do have autism so it's actually pretty easy to avoid eye contact Mm -hmm. but i do i do want to make you feel like uh like i'm seeing you and i'm hearing you and i'm i'm sitting my white ass down um but unfortunately that does require me to give you the miley cyrus stare every once in a while Yeah, I always feel really seen um, when you do that. <laughs> I feel really acknowledged by you. I think that like um, a Patreon stretch stretch goal after we go to Norway should be that mm-hmm. we get Robin D'Angelo like to kind of mediate a session between the two of us um, and just like sort of have you work through your uh, mm-hmm. white fragility on the podcast I'd, I'd also be okay with like if we can't afford her getting the race to dinner ladies um <laughs> oh yeah then the, i don't the... think i would get to participate i think then it would just be them and you because it doesn't seem yeah. like black people are invited at the race to dinner i mean I'm, i mean i guess you could be there as like um 
someone who's bullying the white people. That could be fun for you. So, like, an unpaid employee of no, Race I to Dinner. It, I, would, I would personally demand that you be paid. Um, like, they're already getting, like, $1,000 from each of these people. Mm-hmm. I think you could be paid. Yeah. Do you know, like, I was doing some research on them, like, way before anyone else did, I just want to say. You did. Um, you did. And and that's besides the point. But just, I think that they, the two women behind Race to Dinner, and then they also have a white woman whose job is to, mm-hmm. like, do all the, the like, client interfacing stuff because they don't want to have to speak directly to the white ladies. Um, but, uh, like one of them regina jackson she's like the black woman that's Mm -hmm. in charge of that and she's a like multi-property landlord um and then the other one syra rao i think and not Ro. um like her bio and i don't know why she would include this was like for the first 40 years of her life like she wanted to be a white woman and it's just like you could not you could 40. not torture that information out of me. 40 um, years. Yeah. My I God. know that some people who like grow up in like predominantly white spaces, like um, wish that they were white people for some time. That's honestly like not really an experience that I can relate to. I always thought that white people were kind of corny and yeah, because you also grew up in a predominantly white space, but you oh, uh, I um, <laughs> surpassed was that desire. Just unlocking the memory today about how uh, when I was in fourth grade, I went to an all white Catholic school, and mm-hmm. uh, for the unit on um, the Underground Railroad the teacher gave us a creative writing assignment, and the assignment. Mm was that everyone writes about how they're rescuing me from slavery <sighs> and and with an illustrated um and I got to write about the class rescuing me from slavery um so I do have the illustrated Holy book shit. somewhere in my in my home um, <laughs> so so wait you had to just be like Yay, I'm being freed by Brandon, age nine. Like, Yeah, well, first I had to write about me being a slave and having a bad time oh. as a slave, oh. right? And then, oh and then someone God. from my class comes and rescues me from slavery, uh, and, I, <gasps> and I go with them on the Underground Railroad, and um, then I say thank you to them for saving me from slavery um with illustrations and i i had to write about like a kid in my class rescuing me and then like getting adopted into their family because i had to leave my family behind in slavery (laughs) pov one direction (laughs) saves you from the underground railroad jesus christ you know the thing that was crazy is that i felt so guilty about it when i was doing this because um my my family is not American. 
So, mm-hmm. like, there's no part of... I, I have uh, family members that were, like, enslaved, but not in the United States. And so there's no part of my family history that has anything to do with American slavery. And so, like, child me was, like, really anxious because I was, like, I think I'm stealing valor. And I was, like, going to my teacher being, like, I feel like... I don't like this assignment because I think that it's like fucked up to like people that have like ancestors that were slaves. And yeah, I don't you were like, like, I feel really... like I'm lying. Like, I don't yeah, like lying. And I was like, well, I do like lying, but I was like, I just don't think that I have anything to do, do with this. Uh, and also like, I had to draw my family on the plantation with me, like as slaves. And I was like, my dad is white. Like, is <laughs> what's like is he, is he on the plane? No. <laughs> no. And she Not was like, you could, and she was like, you could just draw someone else as your dad. Um so, so that it makes sense. <laughs> So that's the cooking like, girls don't realize what they're getting roped into. Yeah, so that's a, a different Catholic kind school. of yeah. Oh my god, education that I had. I'm I'm blown away. That wow. was not the only or worst thing that happened to me uh, mm-hmm. racially. Um, when going to Catholic schools. So I would really recommend to all of the little, the, you know, the waifs out there that are thinking about converting to Catholicism. First of all, like, don't, don't do that. But secondly, mm-hmm. like, if you are thinking about it, don't send your kids to Catholic school, at <laughs> least. Um, there is, like, have you, have your... When you were in school, did you ever have those days where you, like, um, everyone came as, like, a country or you did, like, a presentation on a country? Yeah, and, yeah. And it was, like, a festival? Mm-hmm. So my school did that, but they, like, assigned the country to us. Um, and every year, everyone else, like, in the whole school would get a European country or, like, a like a white person country. and. Mm-hmm. I would always get assigned an African country, which honestly, for the most part, like I was pretty cool with because like my family is African. So I was like usually pretty excited about getting to show off some African stuff. But there is one year that I had like gone on vacation with my family to Scotland and I had come back and we were going to do the festival thing. And I like begged the teacher to let me have scotland because i wanted to like show off this place that i had just gone on vacation to and my Mm. teacher was like no we're gonna give you uh like a country from africa so that it will be authentic um and authentic yeah and i was so upset so i like really did this girl in my class as opposed to little little billy who got france like yeah yeah so (laughs) i was pretty upset and I did this girl in my class kind of dirty by because uh, I found I found the person that got Scotland and mm-hmm. luckily it was someone in my grade and I like switched with her last minute like sneaky so that I could get to have the country that I wanted. I'm gonna send you the picture of the two of us on this day and maybe I'll maybe I'll like uh, include it in the. Oh, in the, the episode notes or something so that people yeah, can yeah. see because I really like this poor girl 
she got assigned to Egypt and her white parents really they went they went for it. Um the look on your Yeah, I just like I really can't She's got understand. The Rick James wig on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jesus. Yeah, I cannot understand growing up in like a predominantly white environment and going like I want to be white for the first forty years of your life. I want to like, be this that girl. Doesn't, doesn't really make any sense to me, and so I was always a bit confused by mm-hmm. the race to dinner people, but. Mm-hmm. I do think that the like racial equity consulting thing was a pretty good grift. And mm-hmm. I think if I had like the, um, the motivation to put together PowerPoints, I could have gotten on something like that. Um, Cause I'm you pretty done good. Excellent. I'm pretty good at like using my professional voice and making white people feel very scared that they're about to mm-hmm. like be the subject of a call be out. Educated. Post. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the, the fortunately for everyone, for I'm, Dynasty. I'm bad. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it, that was pretty good. Thank you. The inverted cone was a, was a very good, uh, non-pyramid scheme powerpoint that you made Mm -hmm. yeah i did really like that i guess on the subject of inverted schemes (laughs) shall we talk about the museum of ice cream yes please did you ever Um, go when you were in la so i never i never went to the museum of ice cream um i got to la in about 2017 um, and by 2018, it was closed. Um, and I just was like, I was really it's not broke. Closed. They're still up. Oh, it's not closed? I thought they were closed yeah. by now. No, they're just like not oh, I thought... really that relevant anymore because they're still doing the whole like millennial pink thing. But I they, was, I... You can buy tickets online right now if you want to. Wild. I thought they were totally closed. Maybe I was thinking of COVID because everything was closed. But yeah, um... yeah, they definitely closed during COVID for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean during I, COVID. I do COVID remember is still there was happening. this one video of this woman who used to work there, and then one of their locations closed down, um, and it got turned into another pop up that she also worked at, and they just like left all this museum of ice cream stuff there. I'm gonna see if I can find that video or, or not. You know but what? I, th- I, I think that's their, why I thought it was closed. I'm on their website, and they might not currently have an LA location, which mm-hmm. makes sense because they have kind of like. I mean, the website is still so pink and it, it's just like, it's mm. not like, it doesn't look like something that people would really be going to now. But they're in New York, of course. They're in Austin, Singapore, Chicago, and Shanghai. I think just from the beginning, like, when I got to LA and I, like, I wasn't really into the idea of, like, a pop-up um, exhibition like I, I just like I, when I was look, I do remember like looking through their like Yelp reviews and just seeing like, like oh this is just like a ball pit and some neon lights like, I'm not really one to take like a bunch of photo ops, like you know what for myself so, if I you know okay I'm just seeing the words New York here, and I have to I have to say something before mm-hmm. we do the episode and okay. My friends, my my listeners, my enemies in New York City, I'm not calling you out specifically. 
I think it's it's just like something that's like uh, endemic to the culture at the moment. But certain people in New York mm-hmm. are so housebroken <laughs> that they have ruined my life. Because um, I, mm-hmm. I like don't quite have the same experience when I go to L.A. And I'm not sure why. Um, but like pretty much every time I've been in New York, really in the just in the past like two years this isn't something that i experienced when i was like younger unless i was at a party and then someone would ask permission but i've had my photo taken by strangers like every single time i go um Mm -hmm. and sometimes they'll like tell me after that they took my photo um because they like liked my outfit and they wanted to send it to their friend or post it or something Um, Or I'll have someone, like, sometimes ask to take my picture and then get, like, confused. And I'm like, no, I I actually don't want that. Mm -hmm. Um, And, again, I think it's just, like, everyone is so fucking housebroken that the idea of someone who, like, doesn't want their, their, like, everyday image commodified for, like, rando public consumption is confusing to them. And the reason that I'm holding New York accountable in this moment is because yours truly, my face, was blasted I, all over yeah. the fucking New Dork crimes mm-hmm. uh, last year. I do year. remember this. Yeah, in this their, was last year. They did like a year in review thing, and someone took my picture at a party that I went mm-hmm. to um, where it, 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 it was a... Um, it was like a club thing that I uh, got tickets to go to. So I looked at my ticket mm-hmm. like in months afterwards um, when this yeah. picture like came out to see if I had accidentally like given permission for my picture to be taken. And I had not. Like there was nothing in there that said that there was going to potentially be a photographer there. So I don't know if this person even got permission from like whoever was throwing this event to be there and taking photos for the New York fucking times. Mm -hmm. Um, But like a party that I went to in July where I actually had a a really bad time. It was like a really bad day for me, Um, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, like fine. I was fine about it a couple of days later, but to then have the picture of me there, like immortalized forever in the New York Mm -hmm. times um, in January was like really like, confusing to me and um I checked out the photographer that took my photo I sent her a message and I was like hey and I sent her a message because I I I was upset for you I have a stalker number one um Mm -hmm. so I don't want my my image like just out there all over the place because I, I try to be careful about where I post myself and how I post myself and what I'm doing in those images. And this was an image where I was kissing someone, which is really mm-hmm. not something that I would want my stalker to see because they they have a psychosexual fixation on me as stalkers love to do. And so I that kind of thing in particular is not something that I would want like publicly broadcasted. Um, and what was interesting was that I saw some of her other photos that were in the same like New York Times series and I saw people commenting like oh hey that's me like cool yeah being like wow it's just like 
uh, I don't have, if, you know, if you have a different reaction to me than to having your picture taken, that's fine. But I think Mm -hmm. that overall, we need to be a little bit more suspicious about like what people are doing with our images. And also like this photographer had no way of knowing how I was going to react to my photo being like publicly broadcasted before she took it. And like, I'm glad that some of the other people in that series had a positive reaction to it and like weren't distressed by it, but she had no idea if it was going to like, you know, fuck up my life or like leave me feeling humiliated um, or upset. And she left us both on scene. She left like both of our messages on red. Leave me on red saying, hey, that's me. I don't like that. And it it was just... uh, I I sent her a message as well being like this is an image of my friend they have a stalker like it's really not helpful for their image to be up I know that like you're not the editor necessarily but you are the photographer you have some sway in this like maybe you can kind of help just take that one photo out of the series just in order to keep them safe and just left on red and like I, I understand what you're saying that some people um like, I'm glad some people weren't distressed, but also, like, I don't know. You, I feel I think like just we like should. The photographer be... has no idea if that's yeah. the reaction that someone is going to have. And to, like, take someone's photo in a public place and not even, like, have the courtesy to ask them afterwards, is this okay? And for them to only find out that it happened once it's posted. And I see this all the time with, like, street style photographers mm-hmm. too where then in the comments people are like tagging the person who is posted and then they're like oh cool that's me cool, and it's like well, so you, we... yeah and so it's like you ha- you did not have the like decency to ask the person whose image you are like utilizing to further your own career to grow your own platform like i don't know how much money this person got paid for their photography series when i wrote for the new york times i did not get paid that much money it was like 250 bucks mm-hmm. i'd imagine that probably like a feature photographer gets paid a little bit more i don't know but it's just like someone Even made so, money off of, your career yeah, someone it, made money and furthered getting... their career off of my yeah. image did not ask for my consent and like didn't think that it was a problem when afterwards I expressly let them know that it was an issue for me. And I think that that just really is like endemic of the way that we treat public spaces right now and the way that people think of themselves within public spaces that like someone can commodify your likeness and your image and that you just have to put up with it. And I and like put up with I it enthusiastically it well. as well. Yeah. Like you have to be very happy with the fact that like, why aren't you happy? They they've like given you clout, but like yeah. most that of the we time, all you are not des- tagged. You are not like right. given money. Normal that we all desire to get paid. Like <laughs> that we all desire to be a public figure, and yeah. that like any time our likeness is publicized, that we should enjoy it because it like has the potential to to grow our our own platform. But not everyone has a platform that they want to grow, and I understand that. I like am a person that has a podcast i would like for the podcast to be even more successful than it currently is but a picture of you kissing a stranger in the new york times is not going to help is not going to help promote the podcast that that doesn't do anything for me um and it and it doesn't like publicize me in the way that i want to be publicized so even i as someone who has like some desire to be like 
a public figure. Like the way that I was publicized has nothing to do with that. And I also, think that like, like, you know, frankly, we it's I think it should be obvious by this point, based on like the name that is on the podcast generally, but like neither of us are using our full real names on the podcast say that. for various this reasons. Is, this is my legal government name that I was born with. <laughs> Xerox. Yeah. That was the name that my parents gave me as a young baby. They waited yes. until I was a year old to name me because they wanted to see what my personality would be like. And then they named me Xerox because they knew that I would mm-hmm. have a podcast one day that analyzes aspects of like out- outdated uh, online culture in recent history. I should change um, my last name on here to Nokia. <laughs> I think someone's already done that. What phone? Oh, right. I forgot. There's a musician named that. Well, just flip Once phone. Again, I think Kendall's just in general. stealing... Just, I, you know, like the, the creative exports okay. of people of color. Okay. Kendall is a cultural thief. Wouldn't it be called a culture vulture? I don't always like to rhyme. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, normalize yeah. asking these people to pay you fucking royalties. I see it all the time when, like, people... Um, get brands interacting as if they are people, which they've gotten really good at um, in, like, comment sections and stuff, where they're like, it's the shoes for me, or just something really fucking dorky and stupid. And they're like, and all of these people are like, oh my god, like, American Airlines commented on my Instagram post. Ah, so fun! Like, that's not them giving you a sponsorship deal. (laughs) You should do the whole podcast in that voice. Oh my god. Um that's not them like that's not them giving you a sponsorship deal. That's not them paying you money. You should normalize deleting those comments or telling yeah. them to fuck off until they give you one hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, or like, just I've like, had telling enough. them to fuck off, you know? Yeah. Like, like just... let's normalize like uh calling people sellouts. But mm-hmm. I think that we will probably circle back to uh this topic in our museum of ice cream expose because this is exactly what this is about it's what made me think of this this incident Mm -hmm. although if anyone wants to like do targeted harassment of this photographer for me let me know i'll i'll tell you who it is i don't really want to like be spreading the picture around but i'll tell you who the photographer is if you ask Mm -hmm. um Anyway, if you were online, um, like, 2016 to 2018, and you followed really, like, any influencers or celebrities at all, you have probably seen photos staged in the Museum of Ice Cream. Um, It's not a super relevant place anymore, but it was a really huge deal for a couple years, like, right in the Mm -hmm. explosion of influencers, kind of around the same time that Lil Michaela... uh, started existing like this was mm-hmm. another iteration of uh this was brands the, like the, trying to capitalize on like the the beginning of the influencer era also just like um, geographically this was like the height of like influencers packing in up everything they owned and like moving to la yeah they all yeah. moved to la the great exodus of all like little bum towns all over the u.s all the way to the u to la a great pilgrimage for a lot of influencers people should do that again but like to atlantic city yeah (laughs) 
they need it. Um. <laughs> I, I know, really, it, like Atlantic City needs you. Do your part. So the Museum of Ice Cream, if you don't know about it, it was not a museum. It does not sell ice cream. No. Um, and, which is the most annoying part to me. I feel like they yeah, could at least have like, ice cream. Like that was that was the big part for me why I didn't go because I was like, so they have ice cream there? No. So right. it's just a I ball just think pit. That I I get that they that that's not what it's about, but it's like you could at least have ice cream. Mm-hmm. Um, but regardless, it uh, was is described um, on their website as an Instagram optimized space. But I would prefer to call it a phrase that I'm going to borrow from the title of uh, this book by Claire Bishop, uh, An Artificial Hell. Um, (laughs) (laughs) There's this like uh, participatory art piece. And if you don't know what participatory art is, this will explain it for you for you right away by uh, the one and only Marina Abramovic. from 2011 that took place uh, at the LA MoCA where there were 85 performers that got paid $150 each to kneel on a rotating lazy Susan um, with their heads like protruding above the table. So, so like their heads were like sticking out of this like table that was rotating um, while they stared into the eyes of diners who paid uh, $2,500 for a ticket to eat at this table while people's heads stared at them. Um, and in Clara Bishop's book, Artificial Hells, which is just about how participatory art sucks, that's probably a, she would maybe call that an oversimplification of her book, but that was one of my takeaways is that participatory mm-hmm. art is kind of bad. Um, that the the problem with like, Ebermovic's table decorations is that they don't become more than table decorations. What's shocking is the performance's banality and paucity of ideas and the miserable fact that the LA MoCA requires this kind of media stunt dressed up as performance art to raise money. Um, And in some ways, like the Museum of Ice Cream really like just reminds me of participatory art and is like Mm -hmm. the negaverse, like participatory art. Um, it's like, you know, when you're in college and there's like annoying art students, but they don't know how to actually make art. Um, so they like have to do weird stuff instead. And they like mm-hmm. invite you to a dinner, but it's not like a normal dinner because you have to like explore the idea of what it means to sit at a table and eat food. And like, you have to be like asking the question of what happens when people come together to eat. And so you've like taken the experience of like a, a, a dinner and you've ruined it um <laughs> a, a deconstructed like, a deconstructed dinner party yeah like, like uh. i feel like that's a very like undergrad art student kind of thing and mm-hmm. that's like kind of what the museum of ice cream is where it's like it's just it's not a museum doesn't have ice cream um but it like has all the elements of going to a museum and so it's sort of like taking this this thing and it's making, well, not making you, you pay to participate in it. Um, mm-hmm. And then viewers, I guess, are made to see it by the posts of the people that they follow. Um, but right. Like ruining uh, and inverting like the experience of going to a museum because it is like a museum where uh, like entrants walk through each room. 
Each room is decorated with a particular theme. There's like installations in each room. Um, but the purpose of like being there is not for appreciating any of like the art or the installations or the decorations in it. Um, what I found interesting in my research is that like all of the sculptures and installations and decorations and stuff in the Museum of Ice Cream are uh, trademarked as art for the purpose of copyright so that the Museum of Ice Cream can like maintain a tight mm. grip on its brand and like so that people can't reproduce the things in it, but it is not meant to be like experienced as art which i mm. think is like really like the natural conclusion of copyright um and i i found that interesting as like an aside um but like some examples of what was in it and in, in the height of its popularity in 2017 there was a unicorn statue like a neon pink juke jukebox a rock candy cave and probably the most gross part a sprinkle pit which was like a a ball pit, but like anything was in the shape of sprinkles and then you could dive in it to take pictures. Like, I'm so glad that COVID took that away from us. That sounds disgusting. Like I don't care how many followers I have. I will never debase myself like that by jumping into a fucking sprinkle pit that I had to stand in line for (sighs) that someone else has just jumped in. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. care if they're sanitizing it at the end of the day like someone else was just in there i didn't go into ball pits as a child Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when when it was supposed to be like a fun playful thing why would i go into a sprinkle pit for content and it's just like oh my god you know that people don't wash their hands and they're just jumping in there throwing the sprinkles in the air someone's taking their picture they're diving all around in there sweaty they're standing in line in la it was they're in their outside clothes they were in their outside clothes they've been walking around los angeles all day and now like they're like walking in from smog-filled los angeles jumping into the pool yeah yeah and like bacteria aside like Mm -hmm. no art exists in a vacuum and like art really only has meaning from the relationship that people have with it like the interaction that viewers have with art like the feeling that it provokes with from people like all art is like dependent on its audience so the museum of ice cream isn't like different from that but I think what makes it different is that like the art only has a purpose for its audience as like a backdrop to photos. And so they're Mm -hmm. already like intentionally experiencing this art from like a, like a self-objectified like perspective and like not um, interacting with it, like in the moment and like what feelings it's provoking from them, like, while like they're you even experiencing think about, it, but thinking like, about like what it's going to be like in a commodified setting, and that like uh, lens is informing their interaction. Like you with even it. think about like interactive museum exhibits that aren't necessarily art, but like are part of like educational exhibits for like children. Like the Franklin like, Museum. Yeah, like the Franklin in Museum. Like uh, big fan like, of the like, Franklin Museum. Like science museums that are like like they have a lot of like touch like tanks and stuff like that. Like even just the aquarium. Like your ability to like interact with like a starfish 
or like a horseshoe crab, which I loved doing as like a child, gives you like a better sense of <clears throat> like how these animals interact in nature um, and a better sense of like, because like as a child, like you don't have a lot of experience just like diving into the ocean and seeing a bunch of like little creatures. They're usually a little farther out. So being able to, like, kind of interact with and, like, flip over a horseshoe crab and identify, like, a male and a female, like, and see how they, like, interact with your hands when you touch them, like, that gives you the experience of, like, knowing the earth a little better than you did when you walked in, you know? Um, and even just, like, um, I think about, like, other museums, even in L.A., well, there's, like, I, I lots of it... different... This, like, relationship is not just, a, like, I think that that's why the connection to participatory art is one that jumps out to me because it is sort of like a commodified version of, like, the, like, a, the experience of, like, participatory art where mm -hmm. it's, like, the, the work only exists in the moment that people are interacting with it and the whole mm -hmm. purpose of, like, the artwork, whatever it is, is, like to evoke some kind of like relationship and interaction with people and that like it uh doesn't it's not that it doesn't stand up on its own but that it's not intended to stand up on its own i will have to mm -hmm. look up the name of this artist so that i can um share his work with everyone because i think he's really cool actually i should not say that i think all participatory art is bad there's this um artist where like in I think it was 2006 he had a um like an exhibit uh with this museum where for a month he would be living in the in the museum where the exhibit was happening and that mm -hmm. there was going to be like a paintball cannon um like hooked up uh to to I guess a camera um that could shoot paintballs at him and that like you could also do some other stuff that was like nice like you could like send him a pizza or something and it was uh the the intention was i think like it was a commentary on the um technology that was used in warfare that was like newer at the time in the early 2000s where people are like doing pretty um extreme and horrific acts of violence to people that they can only interact with like through a stream uh, like a, mm -hmm. a screen and it was supposed to be like a commentary on um like drone drone strikes and like getting mm -hmm. people to think about like the dehumanizing um like way that the tools that we like that the military uses in the in drone strikes yeah. and stuff like separates people from the violence that they're doing but of course within maybe hours of this like exhibit going live like 4chan found it and they were mm -hmm. able to like automate the paintball cannon to just like shoot paintballs at him for yeah. uh 24 hours a day for the whole yeah. month um and i think that he's like talked about having pretty severe ptsd from that but that he not that he was glad that it happened but that it did sort of like um illuminate his point about mm -hmm. the way that like someone would probably not do that to him in person but that people See, like s filtered through like a variety of, of uh screens would like do that yeah. to him and not like really 
care or comprehend about like the toll that this is taking on a person so like participatory art is a thing that has some value and that like exists in the moment to like Mm -hmm. like exists within the interaction that people have Mm -hmm. with it to create something and the museum of ice cream is kind of like that where it's Mm -hmm. like it doesn't exist as a thing on its own you're supposed to be interacting with it but what makes it like the negaverse version of it is that it's actually not about your interaction at all and that you're instead thinking about yourself from the perspective of an outsider viewing you interacting with it like on a picture or a video that you've taken yeah because what what i was thinking about in terms of like participatory art um even one that just like relates to like even just like confectionaries and desserts is like the idea of the there's this um piece it's called untitled um it's really called like portrait of ross in la it's by felix gonzalez torres um and in 1991 he made this piece for the art institute of chicago um and it's a it's a basically a a pile of um spilled candy in the corner of um like an exhibit um it weighs about 175 pounds which was the weight of his uh partner um uh ross laylock who uh died of aids um, and his he invites people to um, take pieces of candy from this pile in the room. Um, and the idea is that the like as the viewers like throughout the day take pieces of candy, um, they you know they're taking pieces of his life, right? And he's they're taking like his weight, like he sheds about mm. like forty five pounds like a day, and then they replenish the candy and they start over again. This piece of art in particular, photos were discouraged. Um, a lot of partially due to the fact that it was just a very personal piece about his partner who died. Um, but the idea was that the it's you also know, about the like per- the interaction that you're yeah, having. It is with about it. that interaction that you're having with this thing, not the not the memory that you're making by standing in front of it. Like, the idea is that you, as the individual, become complicit in the process of his partner disappearing. Like, akin to, um, like, how a lot of people kind of just became very comfortable with the public health crisis of HIV and AIDS. Like, so you you just became comfortable with this, like, pile um, that personifies a person disappearing over the course of a day or the course of a life. Um, so the, so like, the museum of ice cream is like the evil version of that. Yeah. What yeah. It, you know, it's it's like Queen Barrel sent this mm-hmm. to us um, because the like dependency that the audience has on the like art is just really different. Where like the only purpose that it has, um, even though it like does only exist in that interaction, is for the backdrop of people's Instagram photos, um, and. That is also why, like, the Museum of Ice Cream, like, installations get retired after they've reached their saturation point on Instagram. Like, the... you And also, like, using the um, Museum of Ice Cream, like, installations as photo backdrops, like, provide self-fulfilling promotion for the museum, too, which is a place that you have to pay to get in for the purpose of advertising the museum's existence in your own photos um, and like helping, you know, make it like a trending destination for people who want to take more trendy photos to visit. It's a place that when it was popular, you used to have to stand in line 
for like two, three, four hours to go visit um, in order to take pictures that would then like promote this place that you are paying money to take pictures of. Let me see on their website how much tickets are. I wonder. There's nothing worse to me than. If I were um, to go in New York, which is the one closest to me, how much would I have to pay? Because now they're, they're done. Oh my gosh. They're expensive. This is so expensive. It's so it's $49 to go for 30 minutes um, on like a Saturday evening. Oh my God. Or if I wanted to go during the daytime, it would be uh, 44. So they, they saved me $5 that way. Um, Brutal. There's nothing worse to me than spending a, a large sum of money to wait in a line for something mid. No, that's that's <laughs> actually like the fifth layer of hell in uh, <laughs> in in Dante's Inferno is standing in mm-hmm. line. Uh, but I think people need to think about that. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, this is like really why this is like my one of my number one most hated entities because I think that it really represents like the conclusion of commodified aesthetic cycles like colliding with the death of creativity and art which is a a result of like late capitalism just eating up and commodifying aesthetics and like the museum of ice cream has these like totally empty aesthetics that are completely derivative and are um existing and optimized for like viewing secondhand on a screen i think that it's also representative of the death of the public space yeah, I was going to link, um, I'm going to link in the description below a video from 2017 of the Museum of Ice Cream in Los Angeles, so you can get kind of like a visual of what's going on here. Um, but it's all like, like imagine like, because Andy Warhol was already like kind of a sellout, right? Like that guy was a, a total little, little worm capitalist that he was. But he, he pulled some stunts. He pulled though. some stunts. He pulled some, that's the thing. He also pulled stunts. Like, imagine, like, someone who... Like, he was very enterprising, right? But he There's did pull some Andy stunts. There's this Andy Warhol story about how he got, like, paid to do lectures at the University of Portland. And, you know, mm-hmm. this is, like, before the internet and stuff. A and very so Catholic institution. <laughs> able to get away with sending a different person in a white wig to do the lectures <laughs> as him that he got paid for. Um, but then he ended up, like, fucking up his own bag because he, like, did something publicly in New York the same day that, um, like, he was supposed to be giving a lecture at the University of Portland, and then they were like, right. okay, so where are you? <laughs> um, and I think like, I think they might have even, like, called his office, like, while the other Andy was lecturing, and he answered and was like, <laughs> what's up? And they were like, so what's mm-hmm. the truth? <laughs> So like yeah, I mean he he pulled some stunts in his time. He made some some fun movies. He was an, he was enterprising. He was an asshole, but goddamn, he made some art. Imagine all yeah. of his pop art. Imagine all of his pop art taken like and take every single like uh sentence he ever said about it and just like take it out, scrap it. That's like what this is. It's like they they have these like pink and yellow bananas. Well, I think it's also these, like, like inspired by. Um, I I might be mispronouncing her name. Um, yeah, like Yayo Kusama, 
um, mm-hmm. who like has like the those really like decorated rooms that mm-hmm. uh, are like kind of also supposed to be experienced in real time. Like yeah, the idea is sort of to like give you a bit of like an overwhelming sensory experience and like her art was pretty popular online in like 2015 um 2016 so it makes sense that it was like derivative of that where they have like similarly themed rooms and like the like diversity of like patterns and wallpapers and textures and props on stage um for people to like make unique photos and like position themselves like in the exhibit and that's what people were doing like at Yayola Kusama's um like exhibits as well um and so it's like it is just completely derivative of like things that the museum of ice cream like knew would play well with audiences and so it is like whimsical in its design because that was popular at the time but it was um very unspontaneous like the vibrant graphic wallpaper prints they're they're like vibrant enough to be interesting but they're also not like the prints are not so small that the details would be noisy on a phone screen. Like it really Mm -hmm. is an Instagram optimized space and it is not meant to be experienced for what it is. Like it's, it's what it like every part of it is designed to create a certain experience for a viewer online rather than like a viewer in person. Yeah. And even like some of these, just like the, the color schemes, like the, the architecture on the walls, it's meant to like not clash with your outfit, like be very like kind of universally stand out in a, like you can universally stand out in a photo against these backdrops. Um, like imagine yeah. like, yeah, you know, yeah, Kusama. Andy Warhol and like a 2015 Urban Outfitters home catalog had like a horrible baby, and like yeah, that's it's that's Museum of that, Ice Cream. That when you look at its website, like that they really haven't moved on from their like 2016 2017 aesthetic, um, and like moved into something else that would resonate more with audiences right now. But I guess also like it doesn't as an, exist as this as the same sort of unique entity that it did in 2018 and i think well, there's even a lot as a of like conceit it's like that are taking the place that it it did at that time yeah like as a conceit it's not really like something that i think has a place in the current like landscape right now like it's the derivatives that came off of this have a better sense of like what people want uh now yeah. more so I think than like also like they can. The pandemic accelerated like the oh, shuttering yeah. of non-branded public spaces, and so it made more places into museums of ice cream. And then also, I think that like TikTok seems to have helped turn more public spaces into commodified ones. But we're, mm-hmm. I think, getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. I think mm-hmm. that it is like really important to like make the distinction between this as a intentionally like branded and commodified space versus like what a museum that someone might like to take pictures in happens to be. There's this quote from um, this book, Education for Socially Engaged Art, that I was reading when I was thinking about this, where it says like, um, the artist as social practitioner must make peace with the common accusation that he is not an artist, but an amateur, amateur anthropologist, sociologist, etc. Socially engaged art 
functions by attaching itself to subjects and problems that normally belong to other disciplines and moving them temporarily into a space of ambiguity. And again, I just feel like the Museum of Ice Cream is like the, the negaverse of that, where it like is attaching itself to things completely different from like what it is, which is like a sprinkle pit um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and like moving it into uh, like a, a, a space of like advertising and branding. Um, and the reason that it's called the like, like the museum of ice cream is something that is super interesting um, that I learned recently where I feel like it really like exemplifies what it is like that the art isn't trying to say anything um, because the, um, reason that it is the museum of ice cream is because the, uh, founder said that ice cream performed really well in the great recession and that it like, didn't, wasn't one of the things that people stopped buying. And so she was like, I think that that's what we'll latch ourselves onto. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a business venture between uh, a Parsons graduate named Mary Ellis Bunn and then this other person, Manish Vora, who's a Wall Street executive and then the ex-CEO of Lightbox. And they have described what they created as a social squared, which she describes as a, an environment that encourages social interactions between strangers. Um, I read this New York Mag profile Um, where Jake Stangle, who wrote it, interviewed Mary Ellis Bunn, and um, he questions, like, whether they've been successful at this goal of theirs. He says it's hard to say whether or not the museum has been successful on this front. Most people seem to be moving through the space with uh, family or friends, occasionally turning to strangers to ask for help, snapping a photo, saying that, like, People aren't interacting with strangers in this space, which like participatory art does sometimes encourage people to do, but instead people are just spending time with the people that they already came with. But I think that what um, this interviewer wasn't seeing because he was there in person and was observing the interactions in person was that the like thousands of social interactions that are taking place between strangers wasn't happening like in real life but between Mm -hmm. like followers and advertisers and the person that is like taking the photo and the museum of ice cream like intentionally blurs the boundaries between real life and online since its purpose in the real world is to like fulfill an online objective in some ways i think it's sort of like a proto nft where it's (laughs) like you're paying money for like a physical thing that actually only matters in in the fucking metaverse yeah um (laughs) yeah i mean like at the time you would like i would say that like and even now but like i think you know as the culture is shifting it's definitely moving more towards you know the metaverse space but like no (laughs) i don't want it to (laughs) i won't i will you know i will vote by mail (laughs) um but like you know um for influencers, especially in that time period in LA, like, uh, seeming, like, looking busy and looking like you're doing exciting things all the time, um, and going to strange and wonderful places 
was currency. You know, the idea, like the mm-hmm. idea of being an influencer was to sell the idea that you are, that you live a very interesting life that they wish they could lead. And I can tell you from experience of working with a lot of these people, that's not true. <laughs> um, they don't. <laughs> a lot of them are very boring, but they have they have a very good, um, like idea and viewpoint of how to like show people uh, a life that they could be leading and want to be leading. And that includes like being able to take photos in crazy cool spaces because it gives you like as an influencer, it gives you a very cheap way of giving yourself like a model photo shoot, right? Like you get, Mm -hmm. you get like the, these kind of spaces, like the museum of ice cream were perfect because they like you paid like $40 and suddenly now you get, you get the, the photo shoot backdrop that like a model would have gotten or like a musician or, you know, a quote unquote real celebrity would have like, you know, six or seven years ago. Celebrities went to the museum of ice cream too. Like I think that part of why it became so ubiquitous was that like, your um, average like 2000 follower account nobody could stand in line for a couple hours and go but Beyonce also had photos like in there Mm -hmm. she didn't stand in line Um, (laughs) but (laughs) can you imagine just Beyonce just standing in line no she would never her head would explode I yeah but it's um you know it like it really was like this very like manicured like curated space that gave you uh 12 or 13 different options for like very instagram optimized photos and i think that part of why they've struggled to like update their aesthetic to 2022 is that while i do think that the like model of needing to have like diverse content is still like something that is important for influencers i think that uh like the idea of authenticity um, has become currency in a way that it was not in like 2018, where it it was like a really big deal to like come off like manicured and polished and like have a professional photo um, or like something that looks professionally done. And that was Mm -hmm. like what signified your entry into being like a real influencer versus just like a person taking mirror selfies. But now the influencers are taking mirror selfies. Um, Yeah in order to like seem authentic. I think that that is like a thing that came out of people needing to figure out how to be influencers, like during the lockdown era. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just sort of like seeped into what's normal now. Yeah. Um, I will say right which... after the museum of ice cream, like was like happened, um, Los Angeles became like a bevy of these like pop-up exhibitions especially for different television shows and like movies that were being promoted there were lots of different like lots that just like empty parking lots that just became like with overnight these um weird like instagrammable pop-up exhibitions that somewhat related to whatever television show or movie they were yeah, promoting also like promote the show that you yeah. have to pay money to like take part in mm-hmm. have you um are you familiar with the disney adult by the name of theodora dorno <laughs> yes <I> did. <laughs> disney okay. adult 
So Adorno, <laughs> along with a different guy okay. who was yeah. like less of a Disney adult, Max Horkheimer, they wrote this book together called uh, The Dialectic of Enlightenment that has a mm-hmm. chapter in it called The Culture Industry, where they like coined this term of the culture industry, where they like sort of present this idea that like pop culture is like a factory or like functions the same as a factory where it like produces like cultural outputs like films or like magazines or whatever that like uh manipulate like society uh imagine that with like a capital s um (laughs) into like behaving a certain way um and that it like creates these like false needs that um can only be satisfied through like consumable goods um and there's this like line from it that made me think a lot about the like i i think that that like the influencer model is is that but like times a thousand i don't really want to endorse people like in enjoying or reading adorno too much he really is Mm -hmm. like a disney adult um (laughs) But, you know, sometimes, like, a broken clock is right. Um, And he says, uh, the whole world is passed through the filter of the culture culture industry, the familiar experience of the moviegoer. Imagine maybe the word moviegoer replaced with, like, uh, what do you call someone that, like, scrolls on TikTok? What are they called? A a TikToker? That's someone that makes TikToks. That's someone who makes TikToks. I, I... I don't think they there there is a name for I well, guess just an audience member. Yeah, the familiar experience of the like parentheses here like TikTok Instagram user who mm-hmm. perceives the street outside as a continuation of the I'm replacing film with like post that he has just seen because the post strictly seeks to reproduce the world of everyday perception and has become the guideline of production the more densely and completely its techniques duplicate empirical objects the more easily it creates the illusion that the world outside is a seamless extension of the one which has just been revealed in the post so uh I think the experience offered is like, it's not one for the influencers who visit, who keep their brand in mind, like while they're spending time interacting in the museum, but for like their followers who get to experience through their screens, a moment of like envy, Mm -hmm. um, unaware that like, there's actually like a really big divide of the like, what they're like what they're viewing and then the emptiness that's actually like depicted before them like again it's like cutesy and fun and kitschy um and it's ice cream and ice cream was chosen because the the founder said ice cream was very successful throughout (laughs) our last economic downfall um so it's just like very cold and hollow. And the, mm-hmm. the economic downfall was interesting to me too because it owes some of its existence to the the last downfall, which is again how it like ties into the um, erosion of public spaces right. um, and private spaces where like the Museum of Ice Cream um, is like its, its business model is to find the empty husks of like foreclosed retail stores. Mm. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, that uh, John, John Berger <laughs> said in Ways of Seeing, all publicity works on anxiety. And I guess you could say uh. that, like, that kind of works, too. Um, God, like, I'm thinking yeah, about... Yeah, so it's just, it's just, like, the perfect, uh, like, encapsulation of this thing, where it's, mm-hmm. like, 2008, like, shuttered a bunch of places. The Museum of Ice Cream, like, shuttered a bunch of places that sell physical things that mm-hmm. you're supposed to be having a physical, tangible interaction with. And then the Museum of Ice Cream, like, replaces those, like, foreclosed retail stores that couldn't adapt to the shift of, like, shoppers moving online. And then like exists to direct people from this physical space to an online space where people then like buy commercial goods. My God. (laughs) And you know, what's, what's interesting too, is that like 2017, 2016, like they were like, um, what's the word for when the economy is good. Is that Uh... just good? But it wasn't a good year for me. You're, it was a bad year for me. You're asking someone who does not know, like, at well, all. Well, if, if there's, like, a recession, like, there's, like, an opposite word to a recession, mm-hmm. right? Well, let me... But I don't want to say on. it was a good year, because 2017 was actually a pretty bad year for me. Um, but if 2008 was the Great Recession, a right, like... A boom or an upturn, all right, so 2017, an upturn. It was a mm-hmm. year that the United States was, like, doing well economically. But still, like, more than 8,000 retail stores closed that year. And that was more than in, like, the first year of the Great Recession. Like, 6,000 storefronts closed in 2008. So, like, shopping really had just, like, moved online. And advertisers, like, moved online with consumers. And the Museum of Ice Cream, like, kind of demonstrates the diversity of tactics that like advertisers began using in the beginning of the like influencer era um, where like the physical space of the museum was utilized solely to drive traffic to stores online or to like personal brands of people that exist to drive traffic to stores online Um, Mm -hmm. and even though like the museum itself is not a really irrelevant space the model that it pioneered is really more relevant than ever um and i just i like find that to be frightening absolutely very very frightening and i um, i think that like oh go ahead no it's it's just it, it's it's very upsetting that the public space has been dominated by the instagrammable space um which in turn just ruins because the because the conceit of a public space is that you can gather uh with a community of people or you can just be by yourself whereas like an instagrammable space requires you to again wait in lines um be overtaken by crowds like there's nowhere to just like like Maybe maybe I'm just becoming an old hag and a crone. But what happened to just like sitting on a bench <laughs> in, in you silence? You did just turn twenty eight, so yeah, you know yeah. it's it's coming for you. I just Crone-dom like any day now. It is, it is, and I just I like okay. So like I watched this series 
on YouTube all the time. It's called the Dead Mall series, right? Okay, um, I was I find it very ask peaceful. You I, I know that that you're a mall person. I am Were a mall. Were you head. like a mall a mall rat was, as a teenager? I was a bit of a mall rat for a little bit, um, because like the the metro went like right. There was a time where like they built. Um, a line to the mall, like a like a metro line, like right mm-hmm. there. Um, DC calls the train the metro. I know. I know. <laughs> um, they want to be French so bad. Anyway, DC, know that I support you. <laughs> Some of you. There's there's a decent amount that I support, and then they're like, I I support the people of DC. I don't support some of the, them. I yeah, I don't support the people who work there. Um anyway, I I do watch this se- I do watch this series called the Dead Mall series, which I find very peaceful um and you know, at the same time like very sad. Um it's fun to like just kind of watch this documentarian kind of go through these these empty uh buildings that like once housed like the greatest like um, symbol of our consumerism as like a um, as a Western society, um, and I was like a bit of a mall rat like growing up because like, and I do feel a fondness towards it at the same time. Like, I am perfectly aware that like a mall is just like a a place to spend money, but for teenagers, like, it was a space to like there was lots of you know just public spaces in a mall to sit because they wanted you to stay there for much longer like for the full day so that maybe you would spend more money i did not end up spending as much money as i think they would have liked because i mostly just like loafed around on like the couches and the benches and you know running up and down the escalators and such but it got rid of like that that kind of public space that um where they try to at least blend the idea of like, okay, here are some spaces where you can gather so that you stay longer, so that you buy more things. Got replaced with like, all right, wait in a line, like uh, pay me $40, take these pictures and get out. Um. <laughs> yeah. The, the, I am not trying to like bemoan the loss of wet seal, Mm-hmm. Um, but that like <laughs> the the existence of malls, right, was already an erosion of free public spaces. Mm-hmm. Um and and oh, yeah. we got the mall as a like commodified public space that was somewhat free, but like buying like, stuff encouraged. It was the and illusion the of a compromise, you know. Yeah, well like, and and the well I don't think it was even like the illusion of the compromise, but that it exists in the timeline where the museum of ice cream is the like um not like it's the natural ending mm-hmm. point of that. Where of course after the wet seal shutters, you have to pay money to advertise wet sh- wet seal. <laughs> or I yeah. guess now it's like Shein or something. Yeah, although by, you know by going inside the museum of When ice Starbucks cream. was was invented, they there were a lot of books that came out around that time and of course like Freakonomics. Um all those like places I'm that not were kind familiar of familiar. All these like Malcolm Gladwell like Freakonomics types were were kind of trying to come culture. up with well, yeah, they were trying to come up with ideas about, like, you know, more philosophical, NPR. sociological, NPR-ass ideas about business, but, you know, from a neoliberal perspective. But they did have 
this idea that of like the third place, which was the idea that like <laughs> this groundbreaking Girl, idea people, that there should be a community space, but, but it should be third, a store. <laughs> those people love third things. Yeah, they're always like, oh, a third way, a third position, mm-hmm. a third party. They love, they love third stuff. Angel, Calm down. angel numbers for business majors. Um, <laughs> But like, yeah, literally, like, what if there was like a Democrat <laughs> party that was like the Republican party? What if there was like a capitalism that was like capitalism, but like a was, little bit nicer? What if there was a train that was single use and went really, really fast? Um, what if there was a library that was like a mall? <laughs> what if there no, was a bus? Exactly. <laughs> so, so like, there's this idea of the third place and they use like Starbucks as an example of like, so there's like the home, the work, and then there's the the. They came up with the groundbreaking idea of wow, there should be like a place for you to gather, but it should also be like a store. Like it should be a store, and they were like Starbucks is perfect because you can stay there all day, um, but you still like they. It's brilliant because then you still buy stuff. Isn't that like a great, amazing groundbreaking idea? Um, yeah, and like so and that's everything- what. If these like is third about places getting... are you know it's a natural conclusion yeah. is that the museum of ice cream is the conclusion of the third place except now the third place is like stay there for maybe 20 minutes and then leave <laughs> get out yeah like... if everything is about getting people to shop mm-hmm. and shopping has moved online because by 2017 like according to this survey by uh the analytics firm Comscore the average consumer made two out of three purchases online in 2016. So if like the reason to have a public space is to encourage people to shop and people are now shopping online, then there is no reason to have a public space except to encourage people to go online and shop. Mm -hmm. And so the like museum of ice cream is like, just the the natural conclusion of places like that and it is also why we continue to see the erosion of like public and also like semi-public the way that a mall is Mm -hmm. spaces and also why those spaces that do exist encourage people that are in them um to take photos and promote them online I was at Afropunk pretty recently and I mean it was fucking Afropunk so I knew that all of the brands were going to be letting us know that they love Negroes um, and that every day mm-hmm. with Lay's potato chips is Negro <laughs> day. But um, it was so funny because like they were really doing the thing where it's like this is like a, a music festival. Mm-hmm. Um, so people take pictures there because people have come in like outfits that they want to show off like they're getting to see a band that they like or something um and so there's all of these like pop-up installations there is one that was so fucking funny that was like lays potato chips like like show your ruffles that was like a (laughs) (laughs) it was it was literally like like museum of ice cream ass like yayo kusama style like different like print whatevers with like little uh mirrors and stuff in them and like before you could go in like someone had to give you a pitch about how like lace potato chips like <laughs> loves it when people just like 
are I can't themselves. Even just take a, I can't even just take a selfie anymore. I have to get the whole pitch on like on fucking sour cream and onion. Like, yeah, and it was like they were like Lay's potato chips like celebrates all the different flavors of potato chip, and that's why Blink we twice made. If you need help. <laughs> that's why we made this art installation that is mostly mirrors and then wallpaper. Um, that you can hashtag, like, show your ruffles to, like, show how proud you are that you're, like, a potato chip that is a, a flavor. Hi, I'm BB Rexa, <laughs> and I'm here in the studio with Lays doing something I've never done before. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's just, it's just, like, the, like, the erosion of, like, anything that is supposed to be like just a like a public physical space is also directing us to commodify ourselves online um and i i mean i found it funny at the time i did take a picture of myself in the lays potato chips exhibit i did crop out the hashtag show your ruffles (laughs) and i did not at lays potato chips which oh this is the other funny thing that the person was saying when they were because I had to listen to the the spiel before I could go in mm-hmm. and see what my outfit looked like, which like I suppose I could have not done, but I did. If I see a mirror, I need to look at myself in it, <laughs> <laughs> and that's just that's my truth. Narcissist. Um, yeah, yeah. Staring in and the pool. <laughs> someone has to be. So of I I she was saying like if. You're, if you take your picture and you use the hashtag, like it might get, it might even get featured in an ad campaign by Lay's Potato Chips. And I was like, why would I want that? No. Like I put so much thought into my outfit that I wore. And now Lay's Potato Chips is going to take my shirt that says she let me hit because I'm goofy. That With is the a plain hitting <laughs> the two towers. And they're going to say that they're proud of their ruffles. No thanks, that's mine. I would actually Go to love Big Soy that. Naturals. <laughs> Go to bigstorynaturals.church and buy your own and then well, hashtag it, show I, your naturals, I, I for one. And, and send us a picture of your tits in our shirt. You know uh, something? With, you, I, for one, yeah. think it would actually be really cool of you to can- to find a way to cancel Lay's. <laughs> You're getting Lay's canceled by wearing the 9-11 shirt. Yeah. Well, uh, and I think... I think that the like uh, ad campaign thing is like a good connection into the way that like this model of advertising um, is kind of like demonstrative of like the way that work is being encouraged to change. Like there's this Mm -hmm. myth that like freelancing and freelance work is like going to become more uh, like, like common and that like more workers are going to become freelancers and with that that comes more freedom and choice and um the people who say that are usually people that do not want to pay you uh like health insurance benefits um but i think that we can really like look at influencers and also like aspiring influencers who have to pay to get into the museum of ice cream after waiting in line for potentially hours to take pictures that promote the brands of the clothes that they're wearing to see what this like freelancing model like works Mm -hmm. like in practice it's like so you want me 
who put in time and effort to put together a cool outfit. And I've also spent my whole life working on being as hot as I am to Mm -hmm. take a free photo for Lay's potato chips for the potential of you using my image to generate money for your brand so that maybe then I can like hop on to the popularity of that image and use that into other opportunities or like just the like if someone is standing in line for three hours maybe they're already a successful-ish influencer maybe they've got like 15,000 followers or something if they're standing in line for three hours they're paying 50 bucks to to take pictures and they're also wearing like uh different brands clothing like how many hours of that like is their time Like how much money did they spend? How many ideas did they have for different photos? Like, did someone take the photos for you? Like, did you pay them? Like, did you spend time editing them afterwards? Like all of that is work. That is like- It is, it's work. It's work, it's crazy to me. There's this like weird double think that people have. Um, I think it's it's audience member versus like aspiring influencer a lot of the time. But even in, even aspiring influencers have this weird double think in their minds where they're like, uh, being an influencer is really cool. I want that job. I want to have that job. Um, and they see it as a job. They, they, they want it as a career. But mm-hmm. they also don't see them working for free as labor. They're like, oh, if I enjoy doing it and if like if it means that I get either free stuff from a brand, the eventual maybe promise of getting paid or just like clout that will maybe turn into this otherwise nebulous idea of getting paid, then like I'll get a career and I'll get what I want. But like you're still working for free. It's yeah, just the clock like... starts running the moment you get into your car to wait in traffic to get to the Museum of Ice Cream. Exactly. And the clock doesn't stop running until you have finished editing and posting see? and coming Gas up with the ideas right of now? captions <laughs> like... for all the photos. Like and that and I'm not saying that people well <laughs> Am I saying that people shouldn't do it? I think that people need people need to have a little bit more self-respect. Mm-hmm. But integrity. I think that the, the job of advertiser, while I think is a, an unfortunate uh, like necessity in late capitalism, is not something that is someone's like fault or that makes them morally wrong for them to do. No. And if that's a thing that you do and that's how you make your money that's totally fine but like you do need to think of like the work that you do as labor and I think also as like people that engage with those kinds of posts like you need to be thinking about the way that these people that you are like viewing the work of are like potentially being exploited Mm -hmm. there's this platform called brand snob that um is one of many platforms that connects influencers to brands and um i don't know if people realize like how common these platforms are that it's typically not of them like influencers doing direct negotiations with Uh, brands or sponsors but that it's usually being filtered through a third party Uh, but either party can like begin the negotiation process because like brand snob for example will be like already partnered with a bunch of different 
companies and then influencers can reach out to them and say like i want to do some like promotional work for your for your product and similarly like brands can reach out to influencers that are on this platform and say like i have an idea um for like a stream of content that i'd like Mm -hmm, you to do mm -hmm. and so it can look like a dollar amount offered in exchange for a series of content saying like this much money for like two photos in a video to be completed in a certain time frame or it can just be like a pitch for like i would like to do something for this like for this brand i i would like to make some content and like the negotiation process begins there um like if we if you could translate that into one platform that does that you can, if you could translate that into like a, like a typical like nine to five modern day office work thing, um, like think about like a job recruiter that reaches out to you on like LinkedIn or via email or even just like a phone call who's like, hey, I work for like this company that is like a proxy that basically can hire you as a contract employee for like this XYZ company for like six months or so. It's kind of like that, but with a with a more short term contract, you know. I think it's it's probably more similar because I think that's a bit more individualized. I think mm-hmm. that the, it's more similar to like platforms like TaskRabbit mm-hmm. or like Mechanical Turk or something that like connects workers to more like everyday jobs, where like TaskRabbit or like Rover or Wag mm. or something, where it's like you are being like because you can set your own rates on Rover as like a dog walker mm-hmm. or sitter or something and you could say that you do that for i don't know how much people charge to do that like 15 dollars an hour or yeah. something and someone can reach out to you and say that they they want to pay you to do three mm-hmm. hours of that or they can reach out to you and ask for a more specific task um mm-hmm. related to like whatever it is that you do and and then the platform takes a cut um brand snob takes an 11 percent fee Um, And the funds are also not released to the influencer until the content goes live. It's also, I I think it should be clear. I think people really need to think about like the amount of work because, because the negotiation process is also like these contracts that, um, and even just like with TikTok itself, like I, you know, I have like the creator fund on TikTok, right? If you go into the terms and services on that, they say very explicitly that if you, kind of talk openly about the wages that you got from that that's like a problem like they could they could ban your account and it's the same with like there's quite a few contracts that brands make with influencers where like you are not allowed to talk about how much money you got paid to do this so a lot of these influencers they have no wiggle room for wage transparency at all with their audience or really with each other um yeah also, I just I want people to know like the the clock starts running when you begin the negotiation process because that mm-hmm. is also time that you are spending working. Yeah. Even if that is like not labor that you're going to be compensated for, but like knowing like an idea for what kind of content you want to do, how much you want to charge for it, like all of that is labor. Um and it is like labor that the platform of brand snob or something similar to it is like really not um going to care about or take into account because it is very different from having a uh like an agent that is is your agent that you got signed to that like cares about you as a client because the cut that they're making off of your work is like related to the work that they connect you to like brand snob is just a 
platform that actually creates a barrier between people that make content and like ad like advertisers and then takes a cut there but it doesn't matter like if you are the influencer that's on it or if it's someone else because they will have a revolving door of people that are like trying to pitch content to brands or trying to accept offers from brands which means that they're not incentivized to like get the people that are on their platform like the best deal possible but mm. instead their incentive would be to have the most amount of people on there um mm. so that they can can get get that 11 percent cut from like a number of different people right i and, feel like, like a lot of, of audience platforms... members have this illusion in their mind right that like when an influencer does a like a like spawn con for a brand that they've gotten this like crazy deal together where they get like royalties and like all this like you know um like what what you would consider like a highfalutin like celebrity um to be able to push like i feel like some people mm -hmm. seem to think that like when let's say like let's say like an influencer makes um a video like a tiktok video like um and they've made a deal, they've cut a deal with a brand that they'll get a certain amount of money um, to promote that product. But then that brand can take that video because they own that video now and they can just cycle it as like an ad. So they just keep replaying that video over and over again as an as like basically what would be like in like, you know, 20 years ago would have been considered a television ad. Like over yeah, and over, and you again. get no residuals off no that. No residuals like, off that. When None. a working actor twenty years ago booked a commercial, like that could pay their bills for like six to eight months. Mm -hmm. And so I, it is just like I I understand that the like career of influencer can seem like fun and is something that people want to aspire to be. And if if that's your deal, like whatever. Um, but I think that while you might think it is fun it is important to remember the people that are like currently doing that are workers and to pay attention when like the 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 platforms where those people exist um are exploiting them like further and further because it does like affect all of us because these like there's not a difference really between um brand snob or uber um mm -hmm. or like task rabbit and like all these platforms like c claim to be innovative ways for workers to make money like instagram and tiktok also claim to be like innovative ways to like connect artists and creators to opportunities to make money but all they really do is like connect workers to jobs like brandstop doesn't determine how much influencers get paid they have no industry standard that they're trying to set they don't like track how many hours the influencers on their platform work or even like what technology those influencers use like there are zero protections for the workers that are on these like uh influencer platforms but at the same time they are being like pushed to use them if they want to like connect with brands that will like keep them relevant and like give them job opportunities and i think that like the the Museum of Ice Cream really like accelerated that like I don't know like that uh shift in the way mm -hmm. that like um independent and like freelance work um like functioned for online creators um where like it 
not only replaced the public space with a branded space, but also replaced like, I don't know, like a, a, a creator that might've been a part of like a creative workers union of some kind um, with like just a glorified gig worker, like a gig worker in some Gucci. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> mm. God. I am reminded of this quote from this um, book called Liberalism and Its Discontents by uh, Donga, uh, Samba Silla about the liberal public sphere, which uh, they describe as a space constructed on the basis of bourgeois uh, parameters and allows only for the forms of publicity compatible with the reproduction of the capitalist economic system. The um, bourgeois public space is based on the political exclusion of the masses, especially the working class, and it is programmed to operate under a private mode. And I think that like where this connects for me is that like there are people who will necessarily be excluded from the cultural outputs that are being created in these branded public spaces. And it's first the people who can't go into these branded public spaces, like the people that can't afford to go to places like the Museum of Ice Cream Mm -hmm. and like whatever has replaced it. But then also the people who have been like thrown off of the platforms themselves where like this content is living and Mm -hmm. you do not get to like interact with like what is the the like new public space um Mm -hmm. because they're like no longer allowed to be on there and it's like typically people from uh like marginalized identities um like tiktok i think continues to be throwing like trans people off their platform just for Mm -hmm. being trans and like talking about themselves or just Um, shadow banning people who look different who are people of color who are disabled who are just bad yeah not to mention also like we've talked about this before but the way that like palestinians don't have like access to a lot of like social media because they will get thrown off of it just for like mentioning that they're palestinian um and so like the the branded public space that like exists in person that like connects to another space online like becomes more and more like exclusionary yeah it's um, locking people and out I, and it's locking people out of this, becoming careerists in that space of getting those same opportunities like not just the yeah. space itself but also just like the opportunity to like you can still participate in that space but you can only participate as an audience member if well, you are and lucky. I think because there there are these like various checkpoints of entry to these like replacements for public spaces, whether it's you know like the checkpoint of paying fifty dollars to get mm-hmm. into an Instagrammable space, or the checkpoint of like uh, you know the terms of service or whatever to like use a platform online. Like all of them um, encourage uh, like self surveillance. 
um, that like manifests in the way that like people keep their own behavior in check and like self-censor in order to continue making like content on a platform. Like you can see that in the way that people will talk about sensitive subjects, um, replacing the words with like words that won't trigger like an algorithmic like suppression of their content or an outright ban. Mm-hmm. Um, also the way that like people present themselves if they have a, uh, like bodies that the the like algorithm that they're posting things on like deems more adult um whether it is because like they are fat or they have boobs or they like uh are trans like hiding those parts of themselves Mm -hmm. in order to like be able to continue making content online that people get to see and all of that is like done on a platform that pretends to be public, but is actually like extremely branded and generates more value and profit off of that content than the creator ever will. Like mm-hmm. even if if you are an influencer with 200,000 followers and you're getting like brand deals and sponsorships and stuff, like you are still never making as much money off of your existence as the platform that you are making and mm-hmm. sharing that content on is is generating value off of because you make the social media platform like profitable just by being on it because mm-hmm. you're bringing in eyeballs and you also make it profitable if you're not an influencer because you're a potential consumer for advertisers and despite and you're a like test subject existing... for all of their new features um like i you'll notice that like you know automatic captions get better those things it happens because they're listening to you and they're listening to the way people speak and their affectations and so even if you don't make content like it's not tinfoil hat anymore to say that your phone is listening to you and is trying to detect what you will like to see what you would like to see next so like yeah, your... well, and it's not even about like is your phone listening to you or not, which it which it is, yeah. but also just that like you exist on social media mm-hmm. to generate money for yeah. your like, behaviors that as an audience member are being tracked. Yeah, know. for for that company's shareholders, yeah, for brands, advertisers, like or like for brands and advertisers, like you are um, making that platform profitable just by being on it because you are part of a potential consumer base. Um, and like, despite that being the role that, that you play, it still encourages this like really intense self-surveillance and like self-censorship that is um, necessary, but also like voluntary from the people that are doing it in order to continue being on that platform. And I think that we just like, we should think about it. We should think about sending our votes in mm-hmm. the mail mm-hmm. before we um, move into a future where all we have left are adulterated simulations of aesthetic pleasure experienced secondhand for us by influencers where we are under constant surveillance and then we have to say thank you when we get the drip, drip, drip of content into our little mouths and then we get paid five cents when we when, make a post. When, I th- Dunkin I think Donuts, that, like, when Dunkin' Donuts comments on our, on our like, you know, simulated torture machine, mm-hmm. you know, 
face fucking us yeah, and then just saying like wow I... queen you're you're sucking that phallus so good and you're like oh my god dunkin donuts just commented on my fucking i i really actually think that everyone that's on tiktok should like delete their account and get <laughs> off there but um like aside from that i i really do believe that because um on a platform like tiktok especially where all of the content has like viral potential um like images and videos taken in public space, like they have the capacity to become commodified regardless of if that's your like intent. Intent, Like even if you're just making a little video for yourself and your friends um, and that like you might not realize what you are doing is work, but you should, you should think of yourself as a worker, like when you are on these platforms. And that doesn't mean that you don't have to like make your fun little videos for yourself and your friends, but that if like something blows up or if a brand interacts with you, like you should be thinking of yourself in the role of a worker and then like proceed accordingly. Um, And especially if you're like intending to make like branded content on purpose. Um, But I think no matter what, like if, something using your image or your likeness like has the potential to like blow up and to go viral like you should be as protective over that as you would be if you were like entering some kind of like contract negotiation you know and what if you i wouldn't be protective over it in that situation like get some self-respect yeah. you know what i think of like when facebook was first getting popular there was a story and i'll probably link it in the description of this woman who found out that her family photos that were publicly linked on her Facebook um, ended up in bus ads on the sides of buses in, like, Singapore. Um, And that was perfectly allowed, um, you know, given the fact that it was a public photo and Facebook owned it, you know? Like, it was just, it was very hard for her to get that off. Now imagine if she saw that... um, and she was like, oh, my God, like, I'm in an ad. That's so exciting. <laughs> Me and my children yeah, yeah, are in an right, ad on the side of a bus. <laughs> the right reaction is anger. Yeah. And and yeah. the even more right reaction is to do violence mm-hmm. um, <laughs> to, well, to well, whoever has exploited your image in that way. <laughs> Once yeah. again, we vote send, by mail. <laughs> send your vote in the mail. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I hope um, you know what we I, mean by I, that by now. I think everyone does. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I I know that probably in the Cerise Kendall relationship, I might take on the role of the tech Kaczynski a little bit more than Kendall does. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to just seem like, oh, I think it's, like, bad to participate in society. But, but you know, think about maybe how it's, it's not. Bad. There's some other me, stuff that you could be to doing. To me, I think it is, it's not inherently bad to participate in society, but it is incredibly bad. It's questionable to participate in society, but you, what's worse is to participate in society... And for it to be uh, completely unquestioning when Duolingo comes on your, uh, like slides into your DMs and tells you like, wow, queen, you look so beautiful today. Kenny, 
I know that you're probably referencing like a real thing that happened on the internet. Happened I'm to me. so fucking glad <laughs> that all of all of your little TikTok references are just so opaque well, to me that I don't even, know if you're making up like a real example. It's not hyper specific. It's so general. Like all like I just remember there was an era where like we said silence brand, and now we're like, come on, brand. Yeah. <laughs> like, please talk I, to me. I think- that like the amount that you want to participate in society is up to you mm-hmm. and you got to go ahead and make and make your choices um but i think that as like public spaces are eroding and disappearing we are being more and more primed to think of ourselves as like consumable objects and mm-hmm. commodifying ourselves before a brand even reaches out to us to do it mm-hmm. because I am sure that the majority of people that are listening to us are not like super famous influencers, <laughs> but I think that like, That'd be th- so like funny. thinking about <laughs> thinking about um, ourselves, like in the, the like hypothetical that this could happen to us is just something that is like more relevant than ever because we are all like being encouraged to commodify ourselves in like increasingly like like more ways that Mm -hmm. just like seep into our everyday interactions with our friends and like with each other and I think regardless of if you're like trying to have a platform um when the only times that you like the the ways that you're trying to interact with your friends. If you're just trying to go to a music festival with your friends and then you got to walk through the Lay's potato chip installation, <laughs> like that is a moment where you're being encouraged to like see yourself as a con- consumable object and commodify yourself, mm-hmm. regardless of how many followers you have. And when you're like posting a video of uh, hanging out with your friends, like for fun on TikTok, and then it blows up randomly, like you are going to have opportunities to like commodify yourself when someone Mm -hmm. takes a picture of you making out with someone at a party like you have an opportunity to commodify yourself and i am saying don't reject reject it i am saying have fun with your friends if you want to go to the lays potato chip installation if you cannot resist the urge (laughs) To look at yourself in the mirror. <laughs> you can't but like, check out your ruffles. Remember, remember that you're a person. Mm-hmm. And remember who the enemy is. And mm-hmm. remember to send your little ballad in the mail. And um, the mail. that's been fucking Big Soy Naturals. Yes, it I'm going to do the outro this time. Uh, my name is Cerise. I'm on, I'm on the internet. You can follow me. My name is uh, Commodify This. Uh, Kendall is she herzog everywhere mm-hmm. except for Instagram where you're not allowed to follow them. That's like not really true, but it's um, not. Don't don't bother. You know, there's I, other places. I barely to look post at there. Kendall's there's there's is, literally nothing there. <laughs> Kendall and I are gonna go on a trip to the Museum of Ice Cream in New York <laughs> soon, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and we will boots take on the ground and. You need to subscribe to our Patreon so that we can afford to go because mm-hmm. it's oh it's so expensive. Oh. Um, we're also like 
Big Soy Naturals everywhere. Mm-hmm. We have a website. It's bigsoynaturals.world. We also sell merch now, which you should buy. And you should take a picture of it. And you should hashtag it. Uh, show your ruffles or yeah. whatever. Um, and and that's at bigsoynaturals.church. Commodify for us, but don't commodify for other people. We exactly. are the exception. Well, it's, it's not capitalism when you buy from us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not capitalism when you buy from us, and when you take pictures in our, you know, in our silly little clothes for free, it's not commodifying either, so. If you take a picture of yourself in Big Soy Naturals merch, you should tag Lay's potato chips in it. (laughs) Um. Specifically, if you get a certain shirt with a pair of buildings on it, we would love to see that. Um, also, like, leave us a review on Apple and Spotify mm-hmm. and stuff. Like, give us a little rating. The algorithm, which I know we were just talking about, but it's, again, it's different when it's us. Mm-hmm. Um, they like it when you, when you rate us. Um, and, like, that's all. Yeah. We'll see you later. Bye. I need can answer to teach me what to think. I don't want to smoke. I just want to smoke. I don't Natural's.